Another week, another episode of the OHL podcast. And wait for it, Dan Mahar, because here it comes. The OHL podcast is presented by Matt Smith Goaltending. For a personal and individualized approach to goaltending, train where elite goaltenders are created. Check them out online at mattsmithgoaltending.com. Dan, this makes it official. You and I have just become podcasters. Like, this is for real now. <laughs> well, and thank you to Matt Smith. I mean, he's done a lot of good development with goalies. Let's uh, see what he can do for us. <laughs> <laughs> it's only the beginning of this relationship, Matt. And uh, hey, listen, Matt was first on board. We're always happy to uh, entertain conversations. OHL podcast at rogers.com. But we are thrilled to be a presentation now of Matt Smith goaltending with locations in both Cambridge and Waterloo. We'll talk more about it as time goes on. But let's dive into this week's big news, Dan. And I think there's a lot of meat on this bone when you consider the Erie Otters' direction of choice when it comes to their new head coach, a very familiar face and name in the Ontario Hockey League, most recently with North Bay, where, frankly, he spent the bulk of his junior hockey career, North Bay slash Brampton. He was the only coach that the Brampton Battalion ever saw. He got a start with the Oshawa Generals back in the mid-1990s, quick stop out west with Prince George. All of this is the resume of Stan Butler, who has been named the new head coach of the Erie Otters. I find this extremely interesting. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, like you said, he's been a dominant figure in kind of central Ontario for over two decades and and now heads well south of the border to to Erie and you know it's an interesting get by by Dave Brown this time of year it's uh I mean we know Erie's in a cellar in the west and that's not really an indictment really of how they've been it's a strong conference this year and they were they were expected to be rebuilding this year I think when you bring in a Stan Butler you're you're saying well, you, you benefit from the experience, obviously, and everything else he brings to the table. But I think you're saying that you're looking for enhanced structure in the defensive end and and in the neutral zone, neutral zone defense. And and I think, obviously, I'm assuming that's what they're looking for here. And and it's hard for those young players in Erie to look at a guy like Stan Butler and and think that you've got better ideas. So, uh, so yeah, it's a very interesting hire. I mean, Stan's been around a long time, and I think we'll, we'll look for the uh, – the development of Erie's defensive structure over the coming months. Was it just me or did the loudest sigh of relief come from Sarnia where Christian Cairo now plays? Could you imagine a player like Cairo playing under Stan Butler? It's probably not altogether different than Pavel Minchikov playing under Dave Cameron, but the, the freewheeling defenseman that likes to contribute offensively and find the open ice, not necessarily, uh, you know, Stan's favorites, let's say. Yeah, well, you know, the game has changed so much over the over the years. And I, I, I think when I think of Stan Butler, and I'm not trying to be unfair to him and say that he, he's stuck in old ways with his structure, because um, obviously he's got a formula that works there. However, in the new age, it'll be interesting to see how, how Stan Butler works and adapts. Because I saw an interesting video online the other day of the Buffalo Sabres, and it showed them having zone control for better part of a minute. And if you didn't know the players, the tag on this video was, Tell me who the defensemen are. You could have watched this def- this video for the full minute and not known who the two defensemen on the ice for the Buffalo Sabres were because it was five men in motion, circling the zone, 
trading off drop passes and short passes and puck support. And it just looks nothing like anything we would have seen from a Stan Butler team. So I, at Christian Cairo, it's a fair point. What system is best for a guy like that, but what system is best for the rest of them as well. So it'd be interesting to see what style he brings to those Erie Otters. I'm going to have to go and watch that Buffalo video because I didn't know Kitchener Rangers head coach, Chris Dennis was coaching in Buffalo now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you saw the, the, Kitchen Rangers' recent success, that's exactly what you saw. Five Absolutely. Five men in motion, no reins on them in the offensive zone, provided that two were kind of looping back near the blue line at all times. So, yeah, it's, it's a different game now. Okay. So, on the Stan Butler front, here's here's one of the things kind of away from the way hockey is being played and perhaps coached today, but that makes it interesting to me. I think it ties into – our conversation from last week when we were asking the question that so many ask around the modern athlete and are we a little bit too easy on them today? Are we a little bit too lenient and are they in any way, quote unquote, coddled? I don't know that we have a definitive answer to that, but it's a question that gets asked a lot. And listen, if it's one thing that we know, it's that Stan can be hard on players and he's been around for so long that he would have started his coaching career absolutely in an era where being hard on players was kind of the norm. So I find this interesting because it's a, it's a bit of a throwback, right? For the Erie Otters organization to say, we're going to go with a guy that has been around, that's been a hard nosed coach that's been in this game for decades, because I don't know, is that the kind of structure they want to place on this Otters franchise or the culture they want to impose on this Otters franchise. And I, and I bring that up because if Stan Butler is available now for the Erie Otters, was he available in the offseason to the Kitchener Rangers, who went in a decidedly different direction with an unknown commodity, at least as a head coach in the Ontario Hockey League, in Chris Dennis? I think of this a little bit, Dan, in the context of the Guelph Storm. A lot of people were asking, and I have no intel on this, I don't know the reasons, but a lot of people were asking when Scott Walker had to step down for health reasons very early in the season, why George Burnett wasn't just reinstalled behind the bench. And I'm, again, no intel on this, but I'm asking the question, does ownership there think that the direction of the game has changed such that George Burnett doesn't make that effective a coach in 2022-2023, even though he's, what, three years removed from an OHL championship appearance. So I, I don't know, but it does make me really curious about what is absolutely an old-school coach being hired for the modern game. I think I think it's going to be – I'm watching this really, in, uh, really closely because I want to know how it plays out based on our conversation last week. Can a hard-nosed guy, an old-school guy, still make it work in the modern OHL? Well, good question. I think just quickly on the George Burnett file, I think probably had more to do with his time and ability. I think the GM piece is a bit of a full-time job these days. It's hard. And if he made that hardline decision, I'm, I'm a GM now, I got to help in this way and don't want to divide my attention. That's probably what happened there. But to your question about the old school, I think there's a saying going around hockey circles these days when it comes to coaching. And that's a simple one. It's evolve or die. So you're telling these coaches, you've got to evolve with the times. You've got to get up to speed on new tactics and the way the game's played now. That's not to say that every tenet of the old school is now useless. There are some things that still work in holding your players accountable, whether you want to call that toughness or being hard on them or not. 
holding them accountable is critical. You've got to find ways to do it within the context of the new game. And I think what you'll see with uh, this old school way of thinking, um, whether you call that Burnett and Stan Butler or whomever you might reference, is that a lot of the players coming up today want to be a part of the future in hockey. And to do that, you're going to get parents, you're going to get agents, uh, the players themselves demanding to work within a certain style, a certain system that that mirrors what they're seeing at pro hockey level. So I don't think you can be totally old school and say, no, we're doing, we're doing one, two, two trap. We're doing, uh, you know, hang back defensemen. Don't, don't pinch up the wall. Uh, all those types of things that we were grilled at in our day uh, as players. I don't think you're going to get that with, with anyone that wants to succeed today. So I'm going to have to give Stan Butler an ounce of credit here. And these, these old school guys say that they're going to have to bring new school elements to, to what they're doing. So we'll see what those are, but, uh, but I would say that you're looking at a hybrid, Mike, you have to have a hybrid. Now you can be hybrid, old school, new school, but you can't be entirely one or the other. Well, and I wonder, Dan, if the leader of that class is not Dale Hunter in London, because if we're being honest, and I'm sure you've seen this as much as I have, sometimes I, I remember remarking on broadcasts before they're playing the trap. The London Knights. And and I'm talking like when Mitch Marner was on the team and Max Domi and all of these really talented players. And all of a sudden you see them even in, in the second period when they've got a two-goal lead. Like the London Knights are playing the trap, but nobody would ever, first of all, nobody would ever argue that Dale Hunter is not old school. I, I think that he is. But nobody would also argue that Dale Hunter is the best coach in the Ontario Hockey League. So, you know, that's an interesting dynamic to reconcile when you even see Dale Hunter coaching the trap from time to time. Yeah, it's a really fair point. They absolutely did. I mean, there was, dare I say, there were times where the London Knights were a bit boring to watch because, because of that. There wasn't a lot of pressure for offense. Once they got a lead, it was going to be not much going on, nothing doing through the neutral zone for long stretches of, of game. And then like any good coaches, other coaches try and adapt and and figure out tactics and ploys. And that's partly why you see the slingshot now on power plays league wide and teams trying to build speed through the neutral zone. So coaches are always thinking and trying to develop new game plans and tactics. And uh, one like Dale Hunter, you have to credit him for being able to employ whatever tactics he feels are going to be successful at the time. And if the trap starts to get picked apart, find new ways to do it, but you can't just stick to your guns and say, this is how I coach. This is how we play come hell or high water. You have to be able to, to figure things out as you go. So I want to be clear and on the record with this, especially because I'm the old guy on this podcast presented by Matt Smith goaltending, by the way, but I, I love the hire. I, I, I like Stan. I've gotten to know him over the years. I, I like him quite a bit. So I, I really like what, the Erie Otters are doing here in the direction that they're taking. And I will be watching very closely to see how it all plays out. And to the point that we were just making with London and even the Knights kind of falling into sort of trap like hockey. One thing that really, you know, helps fans appreciate it is success on the ice. Now, Stan Butler hasn't had the ultimate success yet with an OHL championship and Memorial cup appearance, but two conference championships, five division titles. Now, over a 24-year career, okay, maybe that's not a ton. Once every three years or so, you're getting that division or conference championship. But it's it's something anyway. And, and I bring that up also because 
obviously the Erie Otters are at a point in their cycle where they're expecting another trip back up the standings. And they are, what, 2017 was the year they made their biggest run. And some are saying to me that this might be Dave Brown's last hire as a coach in Erie, which, again, I know that we're in a results-based business. I know that, you know, what have you done for me lately matters and junior hockey goes in cycles. But this is also the architect of a team that had four consecutive 50-win seasons, a CHL record. I mean, five years, six years after the most recent, do you say, okay, thanks for everything, Dave, but we're moving on. Like that's, if that's the case, and I'm just throwing out some of the scuttlebutt, but if, if Stan Butler can't get you to the OHL championship or beyond into a Memorial Cup, is this the end of the line for that complete regime in Erie? I don't know. That's getting a little bit down the road. Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard for anyone, I think, to look at Dave Brown's track record and suggest that, you know, he's on thin ice because I don't think he necessarily has the most advantageous recruiting scenario in Erie. And I think there's been a lot of challenges uh, thrown his way running an organization like that. And the track record for recruitment and bringing in significant names. I mean, you've seen Hartsburg move on there. You've seen a number of of guys come through Erie that have done quite well. And he's, he's good at finding the right people, bringing out Alex to was a great fun. You can go on down the list of things that Dave Brown has done in his tenure to hold that franchise in good stead. So I think when you land a player, a uh, uh, coach like Stan Butler, you're looking at something where you have to give uh, Dave Brown the benefit of the doubt. A gentleman that seems to know what he's doing. Sherry Basson is going to be upset if you don't give him full credit for the Alex to fine, mm-hmm. by the way. He Fair tells enough. the story yeah, he... of the snowstorm and his shoes with no socks and walking through to see this kid that said, I don't want to go see him, but he went to see him. And anyway, it's the stuff of legend now. Just ask Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. There's just been a lot of talent come through Erie, probably more than their share. Yeah. yeah and I have no qualms whatsoever of Dave Brown's uh, ability to build a team. I just think it's, it's an interesting juncture i guess in the evolution of the erie otters and it makes me think of of two things first of all having just been there this past weekend uh was there with a full house on a saturday night and let me tell you that atmosphere and i wondered like i even asked after the game was there something was there some promotion going on it's like no this was just our crowd tonight and look in fairness and you know this too dan as well as i in the states you kind of have a bit of a window for your junior hockey season because High school football is king on Friday nights, right? So you, you're battling against that and, you know, other things, uh, basketball, obviously with March Madness coming up and things like that. So it's a slightly smaller window for the U.S.-based franchises, but my gosh, what an atmosphere. The place was rocking. It was a great atmosphere to be in. I made me want to be there for a playoff game. 6,500, they announced. Yeah, and I've heard that consistently about Erie, uh, that the atmosphere is terrific, the fans are into it, and I think it was a few London Knights players I heard a few years back saying it's their least favorite place to play because you hear it when you're a visiting team. And, you know, that's all great. That's great atmosphere. The fans are into it. They deserve it, and and that's what you want to see in all the markets, frankly. Corey Pecker told the story on this podcast uh, not too long back about the championship run that he was a part of, and they could hear in the dressing room, like before they even got out 
onto the ice, how loud the building was. And it was just this crescendo that was building up. And of course the whole town was excited and they were, you know, lining up for tickets as the eerie bus got back from one of the road games and Packers like, we're actually kind of happy. We got a chance to win it on home ice, which they did and all kinds of stuff. But it was, uh, it was a great atmosphere on Saturday. Kudos to the entire organization. And again, just to be clear, I, I really like this hire by Dave Brown and the Otters. I am really curious to see where it goes. So we'll watch with interest for sure. Something else that we were watching with interest is the CHL top prospects game last week. I don't know, Dan, that this could have gone any better for a lot of the OHL players involved in it. And I say that because if you look at projections right now, it, it sounds like maybe three OHLers are being projected in the first round of this summer's NHL draft. So, I mean, that's not terrible by any stretch, but I think the OHLers really stood up to be counted in the top prospects game last week. Yeah. I mean, we've been hearing for a while that it's a bit of a down year for OHLers in, in terms of the NHL draft and that game couldn't have done anything but help their cause. I mean, we had an OHLer as player of the game with Carson Rakoff. You had, Virtually every other OHLer there, I thought, acquitted themselves quite well. A, a number of them got on the score sheet. We saw uh, Colby Barlow get a classic dominate the net front rebound goal that he that he's famous for. We saw uh, Hunter Brustevich had a great game. We, you know, on down the list, Quinton Musty couldn't even participate because of his injury. And there's a guy that I'm fairly certain is going to go first round. And Cam Allen starting to to open a couple eyes again, just based, he had an early season plummet and Guelph's been playing a heck of a lot better lately and starting to see the player we expected there. So your, your projection of three OHLers uh, in the first round of the NHL, I think is, is almost a given. We might, we might even see a fourth or fifth the way some of them have acquitted themselves in these spotlight games. There were six goals scored total. And OHLers were involved in five of them. Lardis with an assist on the second team red goal of the game. And all of the team white goals were scored by players in the Ontario Hockey League. You mentioned Barlow. Callum Ritchie was there, also picked up an assist. Like Carson Rakoff, whose name you mentioned, a goal and an assist. And then Luca Pinelli. There's a guy we haven't talked about on the pod in quite some time. And he had the other goal for team white in that game. So the OHL was definitely standing up to be represented in that top prospects game. Yeah, Luca Pinnell is a really interesting one for me because I think the stature has has concerned some scouts in the past where he's not the biggest player, but he's doing nothing but the right things on the ice all season. He did last year too, and you saw his goal in the top prospects game with that quick, I would say, NHL release. Uh, and, it, and when scouts see that, those are the things they take they take note of. I mean, you saw the, the Rakoff goal was a, a big man with a burst of speed through the middle with an excellent release. Those are things that pro scouts see are projectable to the pro game. And, and I would say Luca Pinelli's release was there as well. So, so the OHLers really stood out in that, in that game, I felt. Okay. So that was the top prospects game last week, always on our podcast, Dan and I share who our top prospect of the week is a player that's eligible for the NHL draft this summer that we've, we thought maybe has stood out for the past week. So we're still going to get to that. A few things from this past weekend that really, jumped out at me just kind of curiosities I thought I'd bounce off you Dan and get your thoughts on them but before we get to that let me ask you this if I say the names to you Hunter Jones Tristan Lennox and Nico Dawes what jumps into your head well all three terrific goaltenders that that really saw great career progression in their time in the OHL yeah I think that's a really good way to put it and here's another little trivial piece that I came up with I thought was kind of interesting no 
none of the three went lower than the third round in the NHL draft. Lennox, a third rounder to the Islanders. Uh, Dawes, a third rounder to the Devils. And Jones, a second rounder to Minnesota. So that aside, all three of these guys are among the goaltenders who trained with Matt Smith at Matt Smith Goaltending. As we mentioned at the beginning, locations in both Cambridge and Waterloo. And here's the thing about the Cambridge location. And Dan, I'm sure you can attest to this. They've got a 30 by 50 foot real ice surface to train on. And what better way to mimic actual an actual game environment? And I know you coach and that would be an invaluable item for sure, right? Oh, absolutely. And and the three gentlemen you named too, all technically extremely sound. So that. I think with the concern over goaltending development in Canada in general, we need we need more schools like this and and people like this doing that doing that work because you you need more of those guys developing the way those three have done. Well, I think that's what Matt noticed, and that's why he kind of took a a little bit of a a turn in his approach to make it that much more individualized. He works one on one with these guys now, and and he becomes that sounding board. So I've known Matt in this league for gosh fifteen probably plus years now. He was a member of that 08 championship team with the Kitchener Rangers, longtime goaltending coach with the Guelph Storm, now a goaltending coach with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. But he just he, he's that guy that's got the pedigree and he's helping these goaltenders now develop themselves to take that next step in their pro career. And again, I, I love that, that one-on-one kind of individualized approach where Matt will be that sounding board too. And just check this out. In just the past five years, Okay, students from Matt Smith goaltending, five of them in the past five years have been drafted to the NHL. Ten have attended NHL camps. And, you know, I mean, it's one thing to get noticed in the O. It's another thing when you're at an NHL camp and the eyes that are on you there. Nine in the past five years have signed pro contracts and 28 have been drafted into the Ontario Hockey League. Now, it's a you know, there are forwards and defense everywhere there aren't goalies everywhere and 28 of Matt's students in the past five years have been drafted into the Ontario Hockey League so I think it speaks to the work that's being done you can learn more at mattsmithgoaltending.com but it's a a pretty cool story coming right out of Waterloo region that's for sure yeah hard to top those stats eh 25 years I don't (laughs) think a lot of NHL teams would uh would be thrilled to have that kind of success rate with the goalies they're drafting so uh so yeah and and I'd Give a tip to Mr. Ivanov and Schenkel up in Sioux this year, too, seeing a lot of rubber and, and, and handling a lot of it quite well. Okay, so let's let's talk about uh, the few things that, that jumped out at me in, in the Ontario Hockey League this, this past weekend. Uh, where do I want to start? I think I want to start in Hamilton. Do you think anybody told the Bulldogs that they sold at the deadline? Because since the deadline, the Hamilton Bulldogs are six and three and four of those six wins have come over Ottawa times two North Bay, and then a come from behind win over the Peterborough Peets. You might want to call them giant killers right now, but six and three since the trade deadline when they got rid of everybody and the Bulldogs are uh, running pretty hot right now. Yeah. You know, we, we talked Mike before about, having a championship run and what that does for your young guys, just in terms of what they see and experience. And I think there's another dynamic at play too, that sometimes doesn't get enough media attention, or if you will, is the dynamic you create in your room and on the ice, when you suddenly become the guy, 
and that could apply to any number of guys in that Hamilton dressing room or, or Oshawa or Mississauga. These teams are faring quite well since selling. And that's, there's a, a massive confidence boost that comes with your organization saying, we're putting our faith in you. We've seen what you can do. You're getting the minutes. Now you're getting the key ice time. You come at it with jump. You come at it with confidence. You come at it without worrying too much about screwing up, which can be a concern for younger players, uh, concern that their coach is going to be mad at them, concern that they're, Older players on the team are going to be mad at them. When you remove those reins, it can do wonders for your confidence level as well as for your game. And I, I've seen it over my entire life in hockey where when you turn those keys over to to the younger players and it becomes their room and their team, you get a lot more out of them than you might have thought based on what you saw before those trades. You mentioned Mississauga. I'll get to them in just a second, but we already talked about the Erie Otters, that full house on Saturday. That was so much fun. They beat the Kitchener Rangers that night. Don't look now, but the Otters have won three of four, small sample size, but still not bad for a team that's only won five games total since the Christmas break. So three of them in the past four games, Mississauga that you just mentioned, and Angus McDonnell was your prospect of the week last week, Porter Martone over, the, or Martone, pardon me, over in Missy now too. And they had a four game winning streak going until it was snapped by the Ottawa 67s, which is another team I wanted to key on because Ottawa snaps Mississauga's four-game winning streak and in so doing snapped their own four-game losing streak. Now, I know they've been missing some pieces, although Logan Morrison is now back, but I get the absent pieces. But still for a team that at, at least was head, if not head and shoulders above the rest of the league, all of a sudden it's not a foregone conclusion that the Ottawa 67s will finish the season with the most points overall. I, I don't know if I'm reading too much. It, it's a four game blip. They're back on the winning track, if you will, but it's not something I would have expected. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And you know, I mean, the reverse is somewhat true. What we just talked about too, is when you bring those new big names into the dress room, you have the reverse dynamic to some extent, you have some of the guys in the room saying, you know, I was the guy now, not quite as much. And I'm not saying that's what's going on in Ottawa where anyone's feeling insulted or disrespected, but there's a bit of a, feeling out process and adjustment process for everyone. You know, you look at a guy in the back end, like Jack Matier, who was the guy, and now you have Pavel Minchikov there. So it changes the whole ice time dynamic, the whole matchup dynamic, even the mental dynamic of these players between games and, and what they're thinking about when you say, well, you know, thought I was doing kind of a good job in this role, had all these minutes. Now it's kind of spread out a little. And I think everyone gets it and gets why you add and they don't take offense to it, but it does take some adjustment for sure. Okay. So I remember a few weeks back, the London Knights came into Kitchener, beat the Rangers on a Tuesday night, seven to three, but they had been on a three game losing streak. The Knights had coming into that game against Kitchener. So just based on that, and I was told that night following the win that, it wasn't a fun place to be around the Budweiser gardens when the team had lost three in a row. There's just a mentality of this doesn't happen. It's not supposed to be happening. We need to write this ship after three losses. I, I guess then there's somewhat of a sigh of relief, but I found this really interesting because coming into this weekend, the Knights had lost five of seven, those three losses prior to the win over Kitchener. Then they beat Owen sound big, but then they, lost another couple. So it was five of seven they had lost. They managed two wins on the weekend, but they only scored a total of three goals in winning both games, Ottawa and Kingston, in shootouts. 
are you a little bit nervous if you're a London fan or you just assume again, here's a little two thirds of the season mark blip. They're the London Knights. But I just think it's strange having lost five of seven and then they yes, they win two this weekend, but they only score three goals total while doing it. Yeah, I mean, London's a bit of a funny team this year. And so I think we always knew that if they were going to have a challenge, it was going to be scoring goals. They yep. didn't look terribly potent up front. Somewhat addressed it at the trade deadline by gambling a little. I'll say gambling just because he'd been out all year with injury, but on Ryan Winterton, which is obviously helpful. He's come in and looked pretty good up front, but I still think there's concerns about how many goals they're going to score. Uh, early on, they had some up and down play, I would say, from from Brett Brochu, who is a standout every other uh, year. And then he's really come into his own recently until this slide. So I, I think London did not go all in at the trade deadline for obvious reasons. I don't think Dale Hunter and Mark Hunter decided this was necessarily their year, but they saw the team had done enough and shown enough in this conference to maybe add a piece or two and give them a shot. And they know they've got a shot against anyone, but you're right. They're not looking like necessarily the dragon that sometimes they are that you have to slay certainly a team that still gets it done defensively you start from the net out with brett brochu of course and then you've got some real real fine pieces on that blue line and as we know and we can take this right back to uh, stan butler's hiring in erie but that old saying defense wins championships maybe in stan's case not ohl championships but you know a couple of conferences and some division titles too yeah, for sure. You know, the playoff style always, it's not quite the same in the OHL and the NHL in terms of how defensively you have to play to win the playoffs. You, the OHL has a little more leeway for some of those higher scoring games in the playoffs, but it still comes down to, you got to be able to keep the puck out of your net, limit chances. And London, I think is pretty confident they can do that. So they're going to be in any series. All right. I started this little uh, flurry of things that just jumped out at me. Trends, if you will small sample size, but talking about the Hamilton Bulldogs six and three since the trade deadline. So are the Windsor Spitfires, which kind of surprises you because you want to talk about a team that loaded up, loaded up and they had lost somehow three in a row. I I couldn't quite, I I was kind of surprised when I noticed that, but they got back on the winning track by hanging a nine on the Greyhounds over the weekend. And that's without Shane Wright. Thank you, Brett Harrison. The guy's got 10 goals in his 12 games as a member of the Oshawa or of the uh, Windsor Spitfires now seven assists too. So 17 points over those 12 games, but my goodness, they can fill the net over the nine games since the trade deadline. Uh, the Spits have scored, what are like 49 goals. So five and a half ish, give or take a game for the Spits uh, six and three since the deadline, same as Hamilton. You wouldn't expect a three game skid, but, back on the right track boy can they play yeah and that's what they're going to trade on right is their ability to fill the net and not that they can't defend either I think that's a pretty potent team up and down the lineup and they a bit of the dog days of winter I suppose where they don't have to win every game and when you don't have to win every game gives you the luxury of not really bringing your a game all the time and that's I don't think a real item of concern in Windsor I think they know when they need to flip a switch like we saw in Sioux the, the switch comes on pretty quickly. So I, I think up and down the lineup, there, there's few as potent as that team. Yeah, you talk about not necessarily having to win every game. At Christmas time, it was Windsor-Saginaw, Saginaw-Windsor flipping spots for either the top of the conference or the top of that West division. Poor Saginaw. Eight straight losses now 
How much do you think they miss Pavel Minchikov? How much impact can one player make? Wow, that's a skid. Tough times right now. Absolutely, yeah. We and we kind of referenced this in previous pods too, where we said that would be an interesting storyline to see what's going to happen in Saginaw because they've played so well all year and built up this clout in the standings, only to see it evaporating pretty quickly when you do a, an 0 8 like that. So, yeah, tough times in Saginaw. I think when you remove a a player of his ilk, uh, that's what you're going to get to some degree. I, I think they were probably hoping not 0-8, maybe a 3-5. and But but yeah, it's definitely been a, a huge blow to that team. All right. Those are just a few of the things that stood out to me. I don't know why I found myself looking at them, but I was really curious about London coming into the weekend, given where they were at. And I couldn't help but notice Hamilton with the teams they were beating as a team that isn't supposed to be beating really anybody right now. So I think it's interesting to take a look at some of that stuff. Let's move on to our prospects of the week. Who you got for us? All right. Well, a good, a good uh, segue for me, Mike, because I'm actually looking at those Hamilton Bulldogs and seeing how they've been playing. And I, I a guy that I've kind of had my eye on all year is Cole Brown. And it, here's a guy that I was looking for a little more from maybe in the first half, buried behind a couple of players and just kind of wasn't necessarily using his frame the way he he could or should, but I knew there's, there's some potency there and there's some skill there and some ability on NHL radar. He's got a bit of a frame for that. And then since the trade deadline, we're seeing a different Cole Brown. And I think he's a big part of the reason why that team's doing as well as they are another bag, another couple of goals in his last outing. So my guy is Cole Brown. Who have you got? Well, it's funny. You should go to Hamilton for your pick because I thought we were about about to have the same guy and I'm going to take your Cole Brown and raise you a Nick Lardis and say he's the reason that the Bulldogs are going so well but before I get into why I think so uh hey fans in Hamilton you've got yourself a hell of a hockey team wherever it ends up going follow it for the next couple of years okay and I I'm not going to ask you to forgive the city for this boneheaded move to kick out such a great tenant from the arena it's just we've we've talked about that before what a what a mess. And and why do it to an owner like Michael Andlauer and an organization like he's just been he's been a model citizen in this league and, and others that he's obviously owned in. It, it's really a shame. But Hamilton fans follow the Bulldogs because they're going to be a lot of fun for the next couple of years as this team grows. But Nick Lardis, for me, 13 points since joining the Bulldogs, seven goals and six assists. It's been consistent, much like you talked about, Dan, earlier when, you know, teams add new bodies high profile bodies there's the dynamic and the culture that maybe has to kind of come together and figure things out obviously you're going to get more opportunity when you come from a team like Peterborough that was loaded like Lardis was playing for obviously when you come to Hamilton different opportunities you're going to be counted on more power play time all these different things but I remember watching Lardis, and I've kind of had my eye on him most of the season. I think I made him a prospect of mine earlier this year, too. And when Peterborough was in Kitchener not too long ago, didn't really jump off the page to me. But 13 points in seven games, seven of them goals really does. So Nick Lardis gets my nod as the prospect of the week. Well, the thing I love about Nick Lardis is, like you said, he's a player that got traded, was doing his thing in Peterborough, disrupted mid-year, thrown to a completely new city, new role and hasn't missed a beat. And you gotta, you gotta really respect guys that can do that. You see a lot of players that are really good players shortly after a trade, take a little time to adjust and they don't look like themselves. And for a 17 year old player like Nick Lardis to do what he's done on both sides of that ledger is pretty impressive. 
All right. We are getting into the point of the season where the games matter that much more and jockeying for playoff position can begin. We can officially start having those talks about who might play who. We're getting there. We're into the 40s now of games. And next thing you know, it's the 50s and then you're into that home stretch. But uh, as we remind you to enjoy the games this week, looking ahead to the Friday edition of the OHL podcast presented by Matt Smith Goaltending. Uh, we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction, but you're going to love it. I promise you this. So it's not a former player, coach, official, manager, anything like that. It's somebody from the front office who oversaw marketing, communications, ticket sales, etc. Across the Canadian Hockey League. In fact, had some time with Regina Pats, had some time uh, with Hockey Canada at the World Juniors. He's got some great stories from there. But I think the best story of all comes from when he was in Oshawa's front office and was in the room when they were putting together their bid to try to lure Eric Lindros from the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound. So I think you're going to love it on Friday. That will be our featured guest on, uh, on the OHL podcast presented by Matt Smith goaltending. It's going to be a fun one. Outstanding. Can't wait for it. And yeah, if you do have a young goalie in your stable, give Matt a call. <laughs> All right. That over there is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at, Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Send us an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. And please subscribe, like, tell a friend, follow us on all the social channels, and look for your next episode of the OHL podcast on Friday. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.